Good morning. All right. Hope you guys are doing well. Um, last week, we started a new series on parables. And parables are a creative teaching method where you use a story to try and illustrate a deeper truth. And before we get to the parable that we're looking at today, I want to start, I want to start by addressing the most important thing when it comes to any of the parables in Scripture. Not just the one we're looking at today. Because the most important thing about all biblical parables is this. It's the fact that they originate from the spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay, that is the most important thing about parables. We are spiritual creatures. You have a spirit, I have a spirit. And our spirits are inferior to the spirit of Jesus Christ in every possible way. And that is the most important thing to understand. In fact, today's parable is on humility, and I think that's at the core of true humility. Understanding Jesus's spirit is superior to ours in every possible way. So once again, biblical parables are important because Jesus Christ spoke them. He's the one who said them. That's why they're important. That might seem simple or like common sense, but I think that's part of the problem. Is that for the majority of humanity, or at least here in America, what Jesus has said has become all too common. I think you could tell most people that Jesus spoke the parables and they would agree, and yet it would mean nothing to them. And once again, that's the problem because Jesus is the most important thing about parables, which hopefully our eyes will be open to here today. So my goal by the end of this sermon, this message, whatever you wanna call it, my goal isn't to have explained this parable perfectly. I'm not here to deliver three points that will, are guaranteed to improve your life. I'm not here to put on an entertaining, socially acceptable performance. My goal is by God's grace, I wanna help every soul that hears this message, I want to help every soul be confronted with the truth that Jesus Christ is the one true, fully divine Son of God. And if you came here this morning and the fact that Jesus Christ spoke the parables, if that's not the most important thing to you, my hope is by the end, you will at least realize why it should be. Okay, but I need help with that, so I'm going to ask that you guys pray with me. Jesus, it is all about you. Forgive us for getting that wrong. Um, I think a lot of things contribute to that. It could be our pride, our laziness, our selfishness, whatever it is, God, our rebellion. I pray that through the Holy Spirit, right now, for the rest of our time worshiping together, in your grace, please remove all those barriers, those barriers that we don't even see, and I have no authority over people's individual relationship with you, but my one request is this, that when we walk out of here later, every soul knows how holy and how good you are. I pray this in your name, amen. All right, so the actual parable we're looking at today comes to us from Luke chapter 14. This is one of my favorite parables, and we're gonna look at verses seven through 11. And just a little bit of context so we understand what's happening. In the previous passage, in verses one through six, we are told that it is Sabbath, 
And on this particular Sabbath, Jesus has been invited over to a Pharisee's house for dinner. And so Jesus is at this Pharisee's house with this religious leader as well as other religious leaders and several other dinner guests. And we are told that at some point in the midst of this dinner, Jesus makes an observation. He observes something and then he shares a parable in response to his observation. All right, so that's where we're going to pick up in verse 7. Verse 7 says, When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. He told them this parable. He says, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table and then when your host sees you, he will come and he will say, friend, we have a better place for you. And then you will be honored in front of all the other guests for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So there's Jesus' parable. Once again, a parable is a story meant to illustrate a deeper truth. And for the sake of time, I'm jumping right in because I think we're gonna get straight to the three things in this parable or three things in this parable that I believe Jesus is trying to illustrate for us on a deeper level. So the first thing is the wedding feast. In verse eight, Jesus says, when you are invited to a wedding feast, and by this, I believe the deeper thing Jesus is referring to is life. Jesus is talking about life. So wedding feast is meant to illustrate life. Now, we have to expand on that a little bit. And so here's a question I want you to wrestle with. Is there a difference between existing and genuinely living? Okay, so think about that for a second. Let's go back to the wedding feast. The wedding feast is a meal, correct? A wedding feast is a meal. And did you notice that there are actually two meals unfolding within the greater context of this story? There's the wedding feast in verse eight, which we've already talked about. It's meant to illustrate life, but there's another meal happening. What's the other meal? It's the one that Jesus is physically present at, right? There's a dinner on earth that Jesus is literally at, at the Pharisee's house. It's mentioned in verse seven. So Jesus is literally at a dinner, and I think it's that dinner that gives him the inspiration to tell them about a different dinner a better dinner, a superior dinner. In fact, it's a feast. Now, I told you to wrestle with it, so let's come back to it. Is there a difference between existing and genuinely living? Absolutely there is, and I say it with full confidence. First of all, just look at the world. There's plenty of evidence based on that, but on a deeper, more important level, Jesus says it multiple times, and I think it's a huge part of what this parable is about. Believing in and understanding that distinction, understanding that there's a difference between genuinely living and existing, that distinction adds a lot of clarity to this parable. And so I want to make an addition to the previous thought, all right? The dinner at the Pharisee's house illustrates 
existence. The dinner at the Pharisee's house, that illustrates existence. And the wedding feast, I know I said it represents life, which it does, but we have to take it a step beyond that. The wedding feast more specifically represents the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is the only place where genuine life is actually found. I bet the people gathered around the dinner table at the Pharisee's house that night, I bet they thought they were living But Jesus, who is God and the creator of life, he's sitting there and he's watching them grovel with each other over puny little delusional man-made societal positions. And I think Jesus was thinking, this is not life. This is not good. This is not what I created. And he says, I'm gonna give you a second chance because I love you. Let me tell you what life truly is. It's like a wedding feast. And it's important to note that Jesus uses the idea of a wedding feast to reference the kingdom of heaven multiple times in scripture. Okay, not just in this passage, in Matthew 22 and Luke 12, Revelation 19, God uses this idea of a wedding feast to illustrate his kingdom several times. And so Jesus is sitting at this lifeless dinner full of pride and insecurity and fear and selfish ambition. And he says, I'm going to take your dinner and I'm going to raise you a wedding feast. So once again, dinner represents existence. The wedding feast is meant to illustrate the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Ask yourself, what is a kingdom? I think one of the simplest definitions is a kingdom is anything that falls under the rule of a king or queen. I know we usually call it the Roman Empire, but let's call it a kingdom for a second. The kingdom of Rome would have been anything that falls under the rule and authority of whoever is in charge of Rome. So what is the kingdom of heaven? It's everything that falls under the rule, authority, and reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is creator. He's author and source of all true life outside of having a real relationship with him. You cannot experience life for what it truly is. Right? It's just like, if I like the idea of living in Spain, I can look up pictures on the internet all day. I can read about it. I can know all kinds of facts. But that's not the same as actually living in Spain. And it's the same with the kingdom of heaven. You can continue existing. You can observe and even experience the effects of the kingdom, but you cannot have genuine life for yourself unless you surrender to Jesus because that's the key to actually entering the kingdom. So Jesus is at this dinner and he's watching his creation. He's watching his people exist but not live. And so he tells them a parable about a wedding feast in hopes that some, hopefully all of them, will see and understand the wedding feast for what it actually represents. And that's the first illustration I think we should derive from this parable. Dinner represents this idea of existence. The wedding feast represents the kingdom of heaven, the only place life is truly experienced. And so the next thing we need to look at in this parable is the table. I don't know if you noticed, but at both of these dinners, Jesus references it multiple times, but there is a table. In verse seven, he says the people at the actual dinner at the Pharisee's house, he says those people are trying to get as close to the head of the table as possible. 
And then he specifically references the table twice more within the parable itself. He says you either move up the table or you move down it. So a table is referenced multiple times in this passage. And just like the wedding feast isn't meant to represent just an actual wedding feast, I don't think the table is meant to illustrate an actual table. I believe the table represents order. Okay, there's a second one. Table represents order. What is order? Order is the proper way in which something works. It is the sequence or pattern that is required to play out in order for something to be experienced for what it actually is. So the table represents order or, we've got to open our minds to this, we've got to be open to this, or it represents the potential for disorder. Just because order exists doesn't mean we actually adhere to it, right? Law is meant to maintain order, but just because we know we shouldn't murder someone, does that mean people will adhere to it? And so when you don't adhere to the actual order of things, what happens? You get the opposite of order. You get disorder, which is chaos. Look at our world. This parable is just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And so at the dinner at the Pharisee's house that night, Jesus is witnessing a complete disregard for the actual order of things. There's a table, but they're using that table to try and create their own order. And as Jesus is witnessing this, he says, I'm gonna tell you about life. I'm gonna tell you what it truly is, but when it comes to genuine life, there is an order to things. Because in the kingdom of heaven, there is a table. There is an order by which things will unfold. And the difference between the order in the kingdom of heaven and the order that was unfolding at the Pharisee's house is that in the kingdom of heaven, the true order of life will not be disregarded. It can't, just based on what life truly is. In the kingdom of heaven, the true order to life will not be disregarded. But this is very important. Please hear this. The kingdom of heaven will only have people in it who don't want to disregard the true order of things. Heaven will only have people in it who want the true order of life to unfold. So what is the order of things in the kingdom of heaven? To help us understand that, we're gonna look at a third illustration in the parable that I believe God wants to reveal to us, and it's the most important. And it's the head of the table. Now, some translations don't use this term. I use the NLT, and it does. I really dug into this. This idea is still at the forefront of what this parable is all about, okay? So it's this idea of the head of the table. And I believe the head of the table represents the highest priority in your life. And whether you realize it or not, the highest priority in your life is the point of reference off which you are ordering everything else. And so in verse seven, we're told Jesus observes how everyone at the Pharisee's house, most likely in prideful ignorance, they're groveling with each other over being as close to the head of the table as possible. And we just talked about how the table is meant to represent order, but you can't have order without a starting point. And so the head of the table represents the starting point for whatever order of things you are pursuing. And so I'm gonna genuinely ask you this question. Don't answer out loud, 
but I'm gonna ask that in the depths of who you really are, try to be honest, try to honestly answer this question between you and God. What is the highest priority in your life? What is the highest priority in your life? Okay, I'm not talking about the highest priority, the facade maybe we put on. At the core of who you truly are, what do you prioritize most? Because whatever it is, it's sitting at the head of your table. And it's the point of reference by which you are ordering everything else in your life, whether you realize it or not. And it's the difference between whether you sit at the Pharisee's table or are genuinely at the wedding feast. The highest priority in your life will determine whether or not you simply exist or genuinely live. And so what or who is supposed to be sitting at the head of the table? What or who is supposed to be the point of reference off which all other things find their order? I have one last point that will hopefully kind of bring it all together. And if you think about it, there are actually two components to each place at the table. Whether you're at the Pharisee's house or at the wedding feast, there are two components to each place at the table. To try and help illustrate it, I've drawn a diagram. All right, and so this, in this diagram, the rectangle is the table. The rectangle represents the table. Around the table, there are several circles. Those represent the seats where people obviously would sit. Now, on the far left side, you have the head of the table, which I've labeled for us, all right? And there's the corresponding number one because one represents what comes first, right? What's most important. So number one represents the head of the table. That's the place of most importance. It is the place of highest honor, the seat immediately next to that is number two. It represents the next highest place of honor, followed by three, so on and so forth. I went to number six on this diagram. You could potentially go on and on. One is the place of highest honor. It's of higher honor than two, but two is higher than three. Once again, three is better than four, so on and so forth. Each position at the table whether it's one, three, seven, fifty, or whatever, each position at the table has two components to it, which is why I put a number in the circle and on the table to try and illustrate the two separate components. First of all, there's the location, right? Each place or position is specifically located somewhere on or at the table. One is located all the way to the left, Four is specifically located between three and five, right? So there's the location, either on or at the table. But the other component is that each position is supposed to have an individual who maintains that position. So there's the position at the table, there's the position within the order of things, but the other component is an individual who's actually worthy to hold that position. And I firmly believe one of evil's greatest tactics is to get you and I to care more about ordering our lives around the idea of a position rather than an individual who's actually worthy to hold that position. 
So instead of caring about who should be sitting at the head of the table, we fall in love with the lie that we have some sort of control over what is at the head of the table. And that's why if we're not careful, things like our sexuality become our highest priority. Not just our sexuality, maybe it's social status. If we're not careful, social status is at the head of our table. Maybe it's how we appear to those around us or our safety. Maybe it's our health or our comfort. Sports, sports is a huge one, I think people put at the head of the table. Self-preservation, addiction, money, power, control. Family, marriage, children, relationships, community, intellect, our academic pedigree, our grades, social media platforms, politics, fashion, pleasure, career, our opinions, selfish ambition, controlling our identity. I think the list could go on and on. And if we're not careful, one of these lifeless ideas becomes the point of reference off which we order everything else. And I know I mentioned things like marriage and relationships, and people might argue that those things aren't lifeless, but they can be. As sad and as unfortunate as it is, I've seen lifeless marriages. I've seen lifeless relationships. And the irony is, it's usually because we put them first that they can't be experienced for what they truly are. As I reread this parable over and over, and once again, I have the NLT, and it specifically uses that term, head of the table. That won't be in some of your translations, but the idea is still there, the fact that Jesus only references the table in one regard. And so to explain that, I I, I found it very intriguing. As Jesus was observing the chaos that was unfolding at the Pharisee's house, and remember, those were the people who were getting everything backwards. They were getting life completely out of order. And as Jesus witnessed that, he uses a term that only references the table, which is why the NLT uses the, the idea of head of the table. He uses a term that only references the table, But in the actual parable, when Jesus starts telling them about the kingdom of of heaven, he doesn't mention the head of the table. That's not his focus anymore. It shifts. And instead, he starts directing them towards a whole new reference point by which all things will be ordered. Did you guys catch what it was? It's no longer the head of the table. It's not a position at the table. It's the host It's the host. Go read the parable over and over, over and over. In the parable, Jesus makes a switch and he says, hey, at your dinner, in this life, the position at the table is all you're gonna care about. But in heaven, the kingdom of heaven is all about the host. And who is the host? He is. Jesus Christ is the host. And he's using this parable to try and point people to himself. On earth, we bicker and we grovel with each other over trying to maintain or create the order that we want to depict our lives, but Jesus is warning us. He's saying, you can't even know the order of things if you don't know the starting point. And he's like, I am the starting point. Jesus is the starting point. If we want to continue lifelessly existing in this chaotic world, then all we will care about are the positions and ideas we selfishly want to attain for ourselves. But if we are serious about genuine life, 
we will hear what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of heaven. How it's not about a place at the table. It's not about a position we maintain. Heaven is all about the host and whether or not we recognize him for who he truly is. That's why I mentioned it at the beginning. The most important thing about the parables in scripture is that Jesus Christ is the one who spoke them. But it doesn't matter what Jesus says if Jesus himself doesn't mean anything to us, right? And so I believe Jesus is testing us with this parable. He's testing to see who recognizes him for who he truly is. All those people at the Pharisee's house that night, they were in the presence of God and they didn't know it. But here's the thing. We all sit at the Pharisee's house. We all sit at the Pharisee's table. You and I, all of us have sat there. Some of us might currently be sitting there. Unfortunately, I believe some people will sit there for eternity. All of us try to create control and maintain the positions that we selfishly want to depict our lives. All of us fall for the lie that we have some sort of control over the order of things. But thank God he sent Jesus. And so Jesus comes into our existence. He comes to our lifeless dinner where we're fighting with each other over delusional ideas of fulfillment. He comes in and he extends an invitation. I don't know if you noticed, but in the parable he says, when you are invited to the wedding feast, he doesn't say if, he says when. And I believe because he is good, Jesus will give everyone an opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he also reminds us, he warns us that heaven is only for the people who want him as the host. Heaven is only for those whose highest priority is Jesus Christ. And so in closing, I ask you again, what is the highest priority in your life? It's not, just, it's not enough to just know or recognize that Jesus deserves the head of the table. I told you, that's like me wanting to live in Spain. It's not enough to know about it or to look at pictures of it. Entering it is a whole different thing. You can't just know Jesus deserves the head of the table. You have to actually give him that position. I think a lot of times we tell ourselves that Jesus, oh, I'm doing good. Yeah, Jesus is at my table, which might be true in a sense, but in all reality, we're making him sit at seat four or 10 or 50. And Jesus says, no, no, no. He says, I don't sit at your table, but I invite you to mine which is crazy because he's the God of the universe and he gives us the freedom. He gives us the power to determine what or who is the highest priority in our lives. If there's anyone in this room and Jesus has never been at the head of the table in your life, but you want him to be and you know it's his rightful position, I will be right down here and I would love to meet you. Because Jesus says, if that describes you, he says, repent and be baptized. And repentance is where we ask for forgiveness for the fact that we have tried maintaining what goes at the head of the table. And we surrender and we say, Lord, I know only you are worthy of that position. And then baptism is a public declaration to those around us and to ourselves that he is the new point of reference by which we will order everything else. And we're gonna pursue him with all our heart. For those of you in the room and you claim 
that Jesus Christ is already at the head of the table. Let's use this time to examine that and to make sure it's true. Let's realign, let's reorient ourselves with the fact that Jesus is our highest priority. And if that's true, guys, it changes everything. How much time do we spend with him? You claim he's your highest priority. How much time do we spend with him? He cares about every aspect of your life. So when you look at your life and the things that compose it, can you speak to what Jesus says about those areas? Or do you just know what you think? Do you just know what you've experienced? Because if he's our highest priority, we look at those areas and we say, what do you say? And we look at how obedient we are to the things that he tells us. And so with all this in mind, I want to pray for us. Jesus, once again, it is all about you. It is all about you. And I have no control over people's individual relationship with you. I don't want that burden. But God, you do because you love each one of us. And you want us to enter into real relationship with you. But it's based on Jesus. Heaven is all about the host. And so Jesus, my one request was that as we walked out of here, every soul, I pray every soul can see that you are worthy of the head of the table. I have no control of where things go from there. But I pray every single one of us realizes that you are holy, you are good, you are alive and active, and that only you deserve the head of the table. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can watch all of our video content, both current and past, on our YouTube channel? Visit youtube.com slash Sherwood Oaks to watch messages, series, and complete worship services.